There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Fired up for this one, Tom. Got a guy who was nasty in front of the net. Yep. Opponents hated playing against him. Played for Rangers a little bit, but he's a longtime Islander. Today we have Richie Pilot on the show. The great Richie Pilot, too. His teammates loved him, too. He's a great team player, too. How are you doing there, bud? Good, Tom. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys uh, for the invite. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, where were you? You're just south of Saskatoon. Is that where you are? A little bit south. Yeah, I'm living in Saskatoon now. I've been here since I came back from the Blues in St. Louis, I guess, since 03 04 is when I moved back here. That's, that's where you grew up right there well i grew up in the area i'm about an hour i guess you know small town st louis where i'm from saskatchewan oh. it's a small town of like 400 people and then uh the city here saskatoon's a city of 350 400 so you start off playing hockey like everybody can like five six years old something like that mm. honestly i didn't start um I had, I had a bit of a late start i didn't start till i was like nine actually on ice stuff I was on like outdoor rinks from a very young age with boots and and everything else, and played a little bit of uh, like of whatever. I think back then it was called Tom Toms here in in Saskatchewan. They were called Tom Toms, and then that's I think that was like pre novice. Um, so I started that, but then we I couldn't afford to play, so then I missed a couple of years, and then came back at like the age of nine to play, start playing again. And you're and trying to you're native to media too, right? What's that? You're native, is that correct? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm considered. Um, what's I'm considered Métis or Machif. Oh, wow. So Métis meaning that I'm. I'm actually, I just did my uh, DNA thing. I'm. I'm 49% Scottish, 31% uh, Native American or Native like Indian. Right. Um, like two percent Irish. Oh, is that right? You're, you're yeah, and then there's the, then French, then the rest is French. Wow, that's interesting, Rich, because Tom's 0% cowboy, but he thinks he's 100% cowboy. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> well, well, hey, I'm looking at your old pictures. When I first got to New York, I got the cowboy boots on, the cowboy hat. Oh, yeah. I thought, and I, oh, so did I. Oh, did you have that stuff? Oh, that's cool. Oh, Kelly Rudy. Kelly Rudy pulled me aside my first year because I was such a bad dresser. Right. So I used to wear I used to wear my suits to the game with my cowboy boots. Oh, I thought that too. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, and, and Rudy, Kelly was like, Kelly was like, what are you doing? Like, he pulled me, no, what are you doing? He was like, Rich, you know, I just want to kind of give you a little, because he was kind of a GQ kind of guy back then. And and uh, anyways, he was like, yeah, you know, your colors really don't kind of go together. And you with the cowboy boots thing. And in a positive way, he wasn't ripping me. He was just trying to help, right? 
it's kind of funny when I look back. I was a terrible dresser because I'm colorblind too. So oh, are you really? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, yeah. I had Mark, Mark Pavley, so we had the rule like everybody had to wear a tie and a jacket. So Mark Pavley would always wear the flannel shirt and a pair of corduroy pants every day. That's what he wore. So he yeah. just, put it, just put a jacket on and a tie. So yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. That was bad, though. Oh, my God, yeah. It's crazy. So, so were you a good player right away? What did you got going? Uh, you mean with the Islanders, you mean? or No, when you started off as a kid. No, I think I was always, yeah, I was, I was a good skater, but I was really small. Okay. So I, I was... I was small till I was 15. So because of that, I was always, but I was very, um, I would say anything I did, I was very competitive. Like I was almost like that little, if I had to compare myself as a kid would be like a Keith Acton, Linsman kind of a person. I was always in everybody's face. I got the shit kicked out of me a lot as a younger kid guy by the older guys because of always being in, you know, very high compete level. So, you know, and then, so I, you know, what I always told, like, is you get beat up enough, you start figuring out that you got to learn how to fight. So that's kind of what happened at a younger age. Right. Yeah. But I never really did anything to say, oh, yeah, this is, I'm a fighter or anything like that. I think I just, because I got, got my, my ass whipped a few times that it uh, eventually kind of, <laughs> you know, I always tell people the tough guys are the ones that could take punches really at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So then, you know, and I kind of, once I started skating and everything, my dad did put me, I know at one time I know my uncle helped, helped us out as a family to put me in power skating or figure skating. It was kind of when I was younger, like I think it was like 10 or 11. And so I went to start skating, like power skating in our hometown here in, in St. Louis. And then um, my dad coached me from 10 years old till I was 14. But he, he coached me in cowboy boots, right? He never came on. He came on the ice in cowboy boots. Crazy. <laughs> so when I talk to kids, I do some motivational stuff too with some kids and with people when I do my motivational talks and I tell that's, you know, it's not sometimes all this stuff that they have now, you know, the, the opportunity that a lot of these young hockey players have, you know, they all have their skills coach and a power skating coach. And, yeah. you know, at, at a very young age, these kids are getting groomed already because of the dollars that are put on, the, on you know, at the, at the NHL level now in sports. And, you know, my dad coached me in cowboy boots, right. To, I went past Pee Wee. Bathroom is when I first started playing. I got out of house league at 15 when I first came out of house league and played developmental hockey, really. And I was just on a kind of a double A team. It wasn't a triple A team or anything like that. Right. And and um, 15, I was playing on a team in, in this double A team. And when I look back now, the guy's name was Coach Tim Nielsen from my hometown. So whenever... Um, we played a very poor team. I didn't play at all. And then when we were playing hard teams, I didn't come off the ice with Tim. So my dad looked at it as a, that he was trying to, cause he was from our hometown. My dad him didn't get along. He thought it was a way for me not to win the scoring race. Right. right. But really all Tim was probably doing was just making up ice time. Right. right. Sure. Cause when I was playing a lot, somebody wasn't playing. So um, and I, and so my dad about in November, I think of, of that one year, my dad came down into the room in one of these games and basically threw the coach around in the dressing room and said, take your shit off. You're done for the rest of the year. You're not playing anymore. So your father had nothing to do so, with the organization really. He was just your father. He was just my dad, but he, oh. my dad's, my dad's like five foot six, five, seven. Right. But he, but, but he's, I, I would say he's a pit bull is what he is. Is that right? Old dog pit bull, very tough, very been stabbed like three or four times and always in bar fights. And yeah, oh, 
Oh, okay. And wow. Very, but you know, you meet him and you go, holy geez, that's your good idea. I just tell a story about him the other day, actually, how, you know, your dad seems so nice. I'm like, yeah, I know, <laughs> but oh. right. You don't want to piss him off kind of saying, but shows up and anyway, shows up. Yeah. So he pulled me off the team. And so that rest of that year at 15 years old, I played, uh, I played old timer hockey in my hometown. Oh. Uh, I used to do things like it on weekends. I used to put the, a puck in the back door of the rink. And then in the middle on weekends, I would leave the house and go into the rink when nobody, Mr. Mr. Isidore was there, our rink attendant. And then he knew it was me, but I thought I was getting awake. And I go in and skate couples two, three hours in the middle of the night with just the wow. uh, exit lights on, right? Kind of a. Wow. So now, but was it, were you dreaming at that point of the National Hockey League or you just. Enjoyed- oh, I always believed, honestly, I was my, I was always Guy Lafleur. That's who I was. When I was on the ice, I always was like, I'm Guy Lafleur. I'm, that's who, you know, when you, I was, that's who my idol was, was Guy. And then, um, so, you know, if you, I always dreamed of playing in the NHL, but I was still small. It's, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was only like 15. I think I was about five, eight, five, nine, but I played as a forward too. I played both because small town, but I was always a centerman. Right. And then at 16 years old from 15 to 16, I grew that, like I grew a lot in that summer. Right. And I went to almost like basically from six, well, I used to be six foot one and an opportunity came to play for, to try for a midget triple A team. The Prince Albert, they were called like the Prince Albert Raiders are, are, our tier one junior team here in like in one of the teams where I, I close to my hometown of St. Louis. And I, the midget triple A team at the time, they didn't have a draft like they do now or anything. So you were kind of affiliated with the Raiders somewhat, you know, if Raiders, if you do play for the Raiders, they, if they brought kids from out of town, you sometimes ended up on that midget triple A team. I tried out for that team and, and I tell parents this and, and I said, sometimes ignorance is really blessed because I was going, you know, when you look at all the, the, the politics and hockey and it was probably back then too. I just, my parents didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it. I was ignorant to it. And, um, what happened was I went for this trial for that team and, and I wasn't going to make the team. I was getting cut because of I was an extra forward, like the writing was on the wall, right? Yeah. And a defenseman got hurt and the coach asked me if I would play asked me asked the other guy first, this guy Berg, asked him first if he would play if he wanted to play D and he goes, I don't skate backwards. I, I'm a forward. And I said, No, I'll play. I just wanted to play. Right. For the rest of that game I played as a demon. Right. And then Coach Pochapinski said, he goes, geez, he goes, we'll try you as, as a we've got a D that out for the rest of the year, one of our guys that we committed to would you like to try out as a D-man, play another game, and maybe he might make his team with a D-man? And that's what I did, and that was kind of the start of my really great hockey career. Uh, your idol would come Tom Laidlaw at that point, or no? <laughs> I didn't know Tom yet. You know, I didn't know Tom Laidlaw all that. I was yeah. 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 So that was kind of the start of it. And then, you know, at 15 years old, you end up, you know, uh, at 16, I was 16 years old playing really for the first time organized hockey. Right. And so now you've never played D before. And you picked it up right away. So you got it pretty easy, like the backward ski. Well, I played as my, when I when I played for my dad from like ten till whatever those four years I played for my dad. I never came off the ice. I was always going from a forward to a defense. Oh, okay. Right. So when we had three to two or three D or three D, only we only had like nine or ten kids on the team, right? It was house league, right? Right. So I played a lot of defense then and skated in the power skate, and obviously helped me for my backward skating. And so that was kind of so then that started, and then at seventeen years old. You know, you're still, um, I, I was, I got listed by the Raiders. They listed me at 17 after training camp. And then 
uh, Terry Simpson, well, which she would know, Terry basically asked me to, they were going to keep me up as a, like a defense. And I was kind of, I was close to making the Raiders probably. I didn't, to me, I didn't know at that time, but um, he said, well, well, we'd like to either, you know, maybe send you that, we want to keep you. And I'm like, well, where do I, I remember with my dad, I was like, where do I fit in? He goes, well, you'd be an extra guy and learning this and the whole talk, right? The talk that you have when you're in a room and you're to be on the team eventually. And I just said, no. I said, I want to play. I don't want to be in the stand. And I wasn't talking out of disrespect or anything. I just wanted to play hockey. How do you- and I told him, and I told him that I said, I want to play. I don't want to be in the stands. I said, no, I can't. I said, I'm not saying that you have to play me, but I, where can I, I want to just go play. You should have taken that after him, Rich. Yeah. Like, yeah, I should have. Yeah. If you didn't know the story, that might've made the team then. <laughs> anyway, so then, uh, shit, lo and behold, he was like, we'll send you to Humboldt, play like two tier two, right? And I looked at him and I was like, why would I want to go to Humboldt? Why can't I get to play for the Midway Raiders? Because they had just bumped the age up to 17 years old. So then I went down to play as a midget, a 17-year-old, and then got drafted out of the midget. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was kind of... Not the NHL draft. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I did. Really? You got drafted in the NHL? Wow. So there's there's two of us. There's two or there's three of us now that have been drafted out of midget AAA or midget hockey. Brent Bobbix, the other one, myself, and they just, I think someone just drafted somebody a couple of years ago from Alberta out of the midgetry. We had, but, we, had, we had Darren Langdon on our show too, and he was a similar story. I think he was playing midget or something like that. Yeah. Felt- yeah. So I got drafted out of midget and, and not even, I remember filling out the form for the New Jersey Devils, a questionnaire for the NHL draft. Right. It was basically, that was a, like a true, that wasn't really, it was a boss saying, it wasn't, right. honestly, I couldn't remember all the questions on there, but end up, you know, all of a sudden, uh, filling that out, thinking I had no idea. Honestly, I didn't. But I knew Terry. The reason I got drafted was because of Terry and Rick Wilson. Well, Terry was obviously because he was coaching the Raiders, knew me, and considered me knew somewhat my backstory, right? So a late bloomer, kind of you know, bit a throwback, a throwback, a throwback, right? You know, skinny for in second year. Yeah, so a throwback of a player, and then you know, get drafted, and then. When I went to the, I still, here's the craziness, getting drafted to the NHL, coming back, going to my first NHL camp, I really thought that I still had to make the Raiders when I came back. Yeah, nice, sir. That's a good attitude. I was like, I thought, I was so worried. I was I was worried that I was going to embarrass the Islanders if I didn't make the Raiders. Wow. What round did you get drafted in? I was seventh round. Did you go to the draft? I was in Big River, Saskatchewan. I know it's another the northern community that I've been going through now the last year here, probably more than I have in a long time. It's a hunting, fishing. I have a community. Uh, that's a First Nation Métis community. Right. I used to do a lot of chuck wagons. And Al used to call me Ben Hur, right? Okay. And uh, my dad called my sister. She was at home. And my sister said that, that somebody from New York had called and that uh, Rich got drafted to the Islander. And... I didn't have an agent or nothing, right? And uh, my dad was like, tells me, and I said, well, what do we do? He goes, well, we're supposed to call this number, but we we, we we don't have a credit card. So I called the Islanders collect call from a pay phone <laughs> from that small town. And Joanne Hollowan was with the Islanders at the time, and I think still with them. Yeah. Yeah, She's sure. the one to accept. Yeah, she accepted the call. The, the call. Oh, that's funny. Crazy. And then they told me I was drafted, and they then I had hurt my knee with the Raiders. They had brought me in as a forward late in the year, carried it right. during the playoff run. 
So I played as a forward, though, as on the banging line, on the third or fourth line, whatever it was, to basically go out and just kind of run guys. And I ended up running guys. I ended up fighting Craig Berube and... Right. Oh, and so, now, had you been a fighter before this point? Now, I... uh, not really, but I, like I said, I fought a lot off the ice, honestly, as a kid and growing up, like just honestly, a lot, like not like today, there's no fights now today. Right. Yeah. But there was, I got into a lot of fights, like honestly, like rough housing and everything else. Right. So, um, then with the Raiders, obviously when I went, started to play with the Raiders, I actually have a funny story here. My first trip to New York, I, you, you, yeah, I, I can, I'm long winded. So if you just yeah. shut me off, um, if no, you, you want to, you want to question, but I end up, uh, the, 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 the Islanders want to bring me and check out my knee. Right. And I'm like, so when I was talking to like Joanne, whatever, or Mr. Tory, and they're like, well, we'll bring you up next week. Like this is after now I'm back in my home. I'm like, well, Jesus, I'm like, I've never been in a plane. Well, I'm petrified because my mom thinks I'm there. So they're flying me to New York. Never been on a plane. My mom was praying, pray, like we're Catholic. My mom was praying the rosary all the way from my hometown to Saskatoon, which is an hour and 15 drive. I literally thought I was dying. When I was getting on the plane and taxiing out in Saskatchewan, in Saskatoon, it's a small airport. I could see my parents' truck parked. They were watching the plane. And then my mom was by the side of the truck and she was on her knees still. Like she'd stay in a rosary. They thought I was like I honestly thought like I was so scared of dying. Oh, yeah, because my parents had never flown before in their lives, right? right? So I went to New York and then uh Terry picked me up at the airport and he goes, um wait when you know Terry Simpson at all a little bit, he's kind of a dry humor sense of guy, right? Yeah, I know Terry. So Terry she, Terry goes to me, uh, we gotta pick up, you know, the season was over, or whatever, and he's like, We gotta pick up a vehicle from Daryl Diddick and Dale Henry and I think Alan Kerr or something. He go, we got they got a rental car, town car. Would you be able to drive it? And I'm like, oh, oh no, Terry, I can't be driving. I said I'm used to driving like dirt roads and you know like you know the roads and yeah. from St. Louis to PA. I could he know he's from there. Oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, oh no, no, I don't want to do this. I was like, I don't want to do this. He's like, no, no, Rich, you'll be fine. So we go get car. There's no cell phones, right? right. So. We- I think I this car and I was glued like on him, like fly on a ship, oh, man. <laughs> I was, and I got out of that vehicle at that. It was about a half an hour drive. I was on the line on an expressway and I'm like, oh. fucking just scared. I was soaking wet when I got to, to the Islanders, you know, dressing room and I got to meet uh, Mr. Tory and everything. And we get down there and Joey McMahon was helping out there in their cleanup because the season was just wrapped, was wrapped up, whatever. And, so I meet Mr. Tory. They want me to see Dr. Minkoff and they go, uh, you know, you're going to have to, well, I said, well, how do I, you know, tell me what I'm going to have to do for my knee? They will, well, you'll jump on a train and go to the city and then you'll jump on a subway. I'm like, a subway? People get killed on the subway. <laughs> right? This is what I tell them. And they go, oh, no, Rich, you'll be fine. I said, no, I'm not going. I said, can't Dr. Minkoff come yet? Oh. They're like, no, you have to go see him in the city. I'm like, I'm not going. I, I'm not going. Really? I wasn't going. I was, I was, I was not going. And they're like, so then Joy McMahon was in the room and he must he was hearing this conversation. He goes, Well, Mr. Tory, he goes, I can take the town car and maybe drive him in tomorrow. And that's actually what happened. Oh, is that right? That's funny. Yeah, and that was kind of yeah, that was the start of a kind of thing. And right. so, so it was my when did you finally turn pro then? I I turned pro. So as I played uh, I went back with the Raiders. I played at 18 and nine as a 19 year old for the Raiders. I basically went to two training camps with the Islanders, did the song and dance, was there for Few weeks i think you know back then the training camps were longer but i was there at the minimum i think it was like i think my first time was like 12 days and my second time was like 11. Right. like just no i was not even close to be on the radar did you get any- what i thought i with that did you get in any games 
preseason games? No, nothing my first two years training camp. Zero. At 20, when I left to go to, to the 20 year old, because the overage in juniors 20, right? Okay. So I was sitting with, with Rick Wilson and he goes, um, you know, Richie goes, you're probably going to come back as an overage. Right. And I was looking at him going, okay. My head, I'm going, I'm not coming back. I'm going to make the, I, I'm making the island is I'm done with junior. It's time to move on. Right. That's what I was thinking. Right. So I go to camp at the twenty, basically not even like you know obviously the first rounders are what they are, and you know there's something that come up the pipe every year. And I get there, and Jesus, uh, I was just my my goal is to run anybody and whoever was in my way, and that's kind of what I did. I had a I was running my own teammates in practice, and yeah. I was playing. And I remember the scouts, Burt Marshall, and some of these guys, Earl, uh, the Earl, Earl or Burt, Earl Marshall or Burt Marshall, Burt Marshall, he's Burt, yep. Bert, Bert, and then it was Earl. I know his last name, Earl. Now, anyway, they were after my practices. They'd be like, "Keep doing what you're doing, kid." Right? Oh, you're, you're. Then all of a sudden, they brought me up. You know, back then you always separated like the pro guys, and you know, not like they are today. Everybody's mixed, and basically they they brought me up with the pro guys, and I started practicing with them. Wow. And I was still running guys. Oh, is that right? What were the guys saying? Oh yeah, like yeah. So guys were getting a little pissed off with me at, at the, right. Was like Bobby Nye? Was he still Bobby Nye? Yeah, but no, Nye. That's when Nye had gotten hurt the year before with his eye injury. Yeah, but you know, Trotch was there, and oh. you know, um, well, Smitty and and Kenny Moore, uh, Janssen, right? Yeah. And yeah. so then, yeah, so then that was kind of I played nine out of the ten games of the exhibition games, wow. and then Terry brought Terry brought me and Dean Chanel said he said we're going to share a place together, and uh, there would be one spot left for one of us to have because. Uh, Oh my God, Kenny uh, Lighter, Ken Lighter, yeah. Lighter. Yeah. He ended up retiring in training camp. Oh, okay, it's had enough. He retired, and that opened up a spot. That's what how it opened up a spot for us. Wow. And uh, just signed a did you sign a contract? Yeah. That off season, I'd signed uh, the minimum whatever because I remember signing. I got like yeah, I think it was a fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus. Oh, I love yeah. yeah. about that. <laughs> What'd you do with the signing bonus? What'd you spend it? Ran into the bank account and watched it. Didn't spend it or nothing. Did you yeah. Good with your money? Are you? I was always pretty good. I think until I, as you get to make more money, you spend more. I think, yeah. you know, I just kind of, early in my career, I was really good. And then you just kind of get a little bit loose and a little bit more. Yeah. Luck, I guess. So what year was that there? What year did you start your first year? 88, 89. Yeah. Rich had a great first year. He had uh, 14 apples and two, yeah. 42 pims. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I think what happened was too, like after I started, I remember like you just back then you just guys came after you like you had to answer the bell right yeah. and i remember and mick was like i remember playing in la and i ended up fighting i think mcsorley whatever and Deathwing gretzky got there and i ended up taking him tried to hit him and then mcsorley and jade miller came after me like multiple times right ended up fighting both and then mick was like i didn't know mick yet mick is like are you trying to even address him was like are you trying to take my job and i'm like no are you serious or he said that well, he was serious because that, you go, that's my job. It's not your job. That's my job, right? Because he wanted, you know what I mean? Because that was his job, right? Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. How, and it would have been, been disrespectful, but he was like, that's my job, man, Mickey. You know what I mean? Like, let me handle those guys, right? That's that's Mick Vakota for everyone else. So, yeah. How did you do against McSorley? Okay, yeah, I fought him a couple times, actually. You know, I always tried to get the jump early in my career when I was, when, when I was fighting guys, right? right? Because I ended up, like, fighting guys, like, you know, pocket and, and yeah. guys that were, they were, they weren't heavyweights, but they were tough guys. Right. Yep. You know, I, I didn't really have to, I, the reason I had to fight the odd tough guy 
is because I was being, I always became a, a, a top two pairing. Right. So I was always playing against the top six guys a lot of times. So then I, my goal was always to abuse those guys as much as I could. But then some, then obviously when you're abusing them, then they're, you know, the, the enforcers want a piece of you. And out of respect, sometimes I would answer the bell out of respect of certain guys. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It was, a tough, yeah. it was a tough league back then, too. Like if you're gonna- yeah, it was just, you know, you know you know how, like, the line brawls, you would set up a line brawl if you wanted to get somebody, right? Right. But I was the guy that was their line brawl, like, the guy to be like, they're coming after you, Rich. <laughs> now, now, was did Kenny Baumgartner end up there with you? Yep, there? yep. Bomber was there. Yep. Yep. We had a tough team. Yeah. yeah we, had, we had a pretty tough team, actually. Yeah. I remember the brawl uh, at the Madison Square Gardens, right? Didn't, at the end of the game, were you part of that brawl? No, I wasn't. That was Baumgartner and that whole, yeah, that was ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. And, well, Al was coaching that too, right? Didn't he? Al was coaching and making them guys. Yeah. It was really, yeah. It was quite, uh, yeah. The right, well, the, the Ranger Island ri- rivalry, it's, it's probably one of the best ones ever. It's kind of gone down a little bit now. It's not as violent as it was before. But man, like we we had to play against Gillies and Nystrom, and you came along, and you know we had Nick Fatio and George McPhee and all those. Guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's some tough guys around the ice right now. You don't. You know, it's just a totally different game, and it's you know the game is faster and everything else. But yeah, it's a different game. Darn yeah. It's a different right. game. Like you know, people always say, "Oh, which 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 who would Gretzky be as good?" Would uh, I said, you know what, the generational players. You know, I mean, you can you can knock it both ways. You could say, okay, well, Gretzky wouldn't have scored as many goals because the goalie's pads are bigger, yeah. or Lemieux wouldn't have scored as many because the pads weren't as big as they are today. It's harder to score. Well, no, but they also had guys hanging on them that they didn't call, yeah. right? Yeah, they score score seventy, like you know, Hall scoring seventy with guys draped all over yeah. him. Yeah, you know, we were holding guys, right? And yeah. so you can't really compare. It's apples and oranges. And the best, the generational players are just good no matter what year they're, what generation they're playing in. Yeah, they'll figure it right. out. So yeah. how, many years, how many years did you play with the Islanders? I played basically 12 with them. Right. Good. Almost 12 years. And then I went to the Rangers part ways through my 12th year and then played for the Rangers that year and then my, my end of my contract. Yeah, Rich was with the Rangers when they were uh, kind of bothering out there. Right. Yeah, we were. We, I came in with when Theo and, and Ricky and right. uh, who was there. How'd you get from the Islanders to the Rangers? They traded you? Waivers. I was on waivers because I was making like 
I was making almost two million. Oh, were you? Wow. Yeah, and uh, I was just under two, and then Millbury brought me in because that whole we were going through ownership change, and honestly, that's when my drinking kind of went to a whole nother level. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and and, and when I talk about being in like you know having an issue with, with with alcohol, I never tried a drug or anything till I got to the Rangers actually, oh. and I and I end up trying coke, right? And that's kind of where my my if it wouldn't have been like if I look back now, it's all you know. I always tell my son this. I'm like, you can live with mistakes. People can live with mistakes, but I said once you have the regret, that's the rest of your life, right? right? And my regret was that when I tried coke, it put me to a whole nother level of my love for hockey that I grew up and gave me everything I had or was having. That's the power of of addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs. It'll take all that that love that you think you could never break. Right. With, with a sport, it will break it, but it does. So, it do, you think, do you think looking back, you had a drinking problem your whole career? Um, I don't. I you know what? My I no, I didn't. I, because I didn't drink a lot from the time I was like I started drinking at age twelve, okay. like a couple of drinks. Like I remember Baby Duck went back then. We sit in the then we buy a case of beer and just, honestly, thirteen years old, we were, it was. It was norm for your parents to give you a sip of their beer. I remember having lots of sip of my beer off my dad. And, you know, so um, I believe because it's in my genes, my dad was pretty good. He tried quite a bit and partied a lot at a young age. And now then my mom kind of took over the torch. My grandparents are alcoholics right on my mom's side. So I think it's in, it's in my genes. It's in my blood. So, you know, even when I talk to my kids about it, like you don't have to just be aware of it because it's you could be you may not have the problem but i did and you know grandpa did and right. your great grandpa did you know so the drinking was yeah. under control until you got to new york and started doing the cocaine yep i got hurt when i had the eye injury remember the eye injury i don't know if you remember my eye injury yep. when i had my eye injury um i i i had more of a free read yeah because i was making you know whatever i think i was making around 200 250 at the time wasn't really, I wasn't, I was still, I was in my, was I still, I was thinking of my, yeah, I was in my second contract, but I wasn't making big money. I was making, you know, I moved up the ladder. There, there still wasn't salary disclosure yet, I don't believe. Yeah, that's right. It, that didn't come out yet. So then, but then I, I got, because I didn't have the curfew, right? I, I started to meet friends outside of hockey. It's not that they brought me their own way. It's just, right. I liked the lifestyle a bit, right? right. Now, were you married at the time? Yeah, I was. Yeah, oh, no, I was engaged. I was engaged. I wasn't married. I was engaged. Yeah, good. So you, after you finished with the Rangers, then that was it. You retired after your stint with the Rangers. Well, I went to no. I actually signed with the Blues, man. I signed with St. Louis for two years, and I was making three. I was making one and a half there each year. And yeah, uh, point now the drinking is out of control, and you're doing the cocaine. Well, I'm going there, but I'm actually I'm in a different place, right? I'm not thinking about hockey now. I'm thinking more about the lifestyle. I'm not thinking about winning the Stanley Cup. I don't believe it crossed my mind. I was thinking more about the paychecks and the, right, honestly, that's the truth. And and then when I got hurt there with my wrist injury, I broke my wrist against the Rangers, actually. And I played eight games for them. And now my goal wasn't to be how fast I can get back. It's how fast can I melt this. There's the change that happened to me. And... I remember that was one of my apologies is I actually wanted to call Larry Plow when he signed me to apologize for basically misleading them. 
You know what I mean? So this is after you got treatment. Like after No, I hadn't been in treatment yet. My wife basically what happened was my I, I had eight games in. I'm I'm a, I'm basically inst- instead of being part of the team. And when I look back now and I told my son this actually, because they know pretty much ninety nine percent of everything in my I've done in my life. Um, I said, you know, if I wanted to transition to be a coach at that time to show because I was always a you know, if it wouldn't have been for my my drinking and everything else, I probably would have been captain of the Islanders. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's the way we because so you're they they point. actually talked. They had talked to me about it, and when Brian McKay became captain, and they were like, "Rich, we want to make you captain, but you know, you have to. We know you don't take young guys with you. We know you do. You run a little bit, right? But you're going to have to stop all that because the players know what you're up to, right? Yeah. So, and I said, "Well, I'm fine just being an assistant captain, and I'll and I'll support Brian, whoever you guys want to make captain." That's craziness. You know what I mean? Really? You have an opportunity to be captain of an NHL team, but you're going, ah, it's okay. I'll, I'll be, you know what I mean? Yes. And there's the, the chain from the addictions that I've already set in. Right. Right. So, so at that point, um, before you leave, so before you left the Islanders, do you think you were addicted at that point? I was drinking a lot. Okay. I was definitely drinking a lot, but I wasn't, you know, I never, I drank two times before. I never drank before game. Like I got drunk before games, I should say. And then, I had maybe two. I should say I never. I had two two times that I got drunk the night before games in my whole career. That was the culture back then too. Not that it makes yeah, sense. like we went for lunch every day. Like we went for lunch almost every day. So you're having six to eight to ten pops in the afternoon and going home, right? That was the norm, honestly. So you so you get to St. Louis and finish off that contract. Is that it then? You retired? Well, yeah. Well, what happened was that first year, going back to that first year, my wife called me into the union. Because I was talking gibberish, I was on coke, I was out of control. She knew I was out of control, and she was now trying to call. Like basically, she was worried about me, so she called me in, and thank God she did. Because in that week that it happened, I had bought some drugs off of some undercover cops. Oh, and Kelly Chase pulled me aside because, and he said, "Rich, he goes, here's what's happening. You got to clean. There, they know. Like basically, the blues know. Oh, so he gave me a heads up, right? Well." In that week, my wife called now. Now I've got to go into the, now they're, they're coming to see me. So that weekend, the, 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 I remember the, 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 um, the security guy for the team who was kind of a dick, he couldn't wait to fucking make the call on Sunday to tell me that because the Blues were going to intervene oh, okay. with my contract, right? But they could, but, but it wasn't illegal. There was nothing against it. What wasn't? No, but they were going to basically suspend me, right? Oh, okay. They were going to, but they couldn't because I had already talked to the NHLPA, like the substance abuse program. Right. So, that, so that they were spying. Doctor Shaw was involved at that point, right? They, he was. Yeah, Doctor Shaw. Yeah. Though they they were coming to see me Sunday. It was already now that now it was taken away from the Blues and everything was within the our union, right? So, right. so basically, then I had to like I had to pee test every day for like the first. Fuck, it had to be a good month, month and a half. They'd come to my health and I had to do a P test and then went to like three days, right? But I was still a con though. And they knew everything. That, they knew everything. They knew about the coke, the drinking, everything. Oh uh, yeah. But I you, you when you're when you're when you're when you're going through addiction, you always play it off like you're not that bad. Right. Okay. So now right. is this point now is your career over at this point then? Well, I I'm looking at the bank account going, oh, I got, you know, spent another year at one point three. My wrist is messed up anyway. Right. But I didn't want to play anymore in my I was more worried about how I paid my dues. You know, that my self-talk was, yeah. fuck, you've abused your body. You deserve to yeah. 
have some fun now, right? When that would have been the time to transition to be an assistant coach, really. Because of the love of the game. But my love wasn't the game. It was more about when do I drink, right? I wasn't worried about doing coke now because I hadn't done coke in a while. And then even after that, I played eight. Hold on. With that? On your own, you were able to quit the coke. Well, yeah, because I had to because I was doing the piss test, right? Because if I wouldn't have failed those tests, then I, then I am suspended and lose my contract, right? That's right. Okay. So that was, was I was white knuckling it, really. So then I don't play two years. I think I'm done. And my agent calls me. You're going to love this story. Yeah. Um, Mike owed me a favor. Mike Milbury? Yeah. Big favor. Right. So I had a good relationship with Mike. So Mike, when he's with the Islanders, Spano, remember when John Spano was there? Sure. Spano was basically taking over the team and, and he didn't like Mike. Oh. Okay. So he didn't like Mike. And as soon as he took over, he made Mike was GM coach. He's made Mike step down as coach. Rick Bonus became the coach and Mike became the GM. While Spano was going to blackmail Mike. Oh. Yeah. So I knew these couple girls that were a little risque. This one girl, Lee, she tells me she's sleeping with Spano. Oh. And I'm like, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I'm at all your games, right? Am I okay to talk about this? Yes, absolutely. Yes, keep going. This is kind of some juicy stuff, man. We love it. So what's that? We love it. Keep going. So then then Spano, so I'm like going, she tells me that they they got the Garden City Hotel. Spano's got it all set up and he's going to get Mike on tape and then he's going to get rid of him. He had just signed a five-year deal. So Mike Milbury's got another, he's got an affair going on and Spano's got an affair going on. No, well, he, he, Mike might've had his on, but this is what these girls are. No, these girls, the girl Lee was with John oh, okay. Spano. Right. She's telling me her and her friend, Jennifer, who I know both, they're kind of going to put on a little bit of a show and then uh, hopefully get Mike with his hands in the cookie jar, basically. Oh, which oh, probably, okay. Right. Oh, okay. So I tell Mike just off the cuff at the rink. Say, Mike, I said, I don't know what's going on with you and Spano, but I'm like, if you're ever around these girls, Lee and Jen, just be careful. Right. That's all I tell. This is back when you're playing with the Islanders. Yeah. So he owes you this favor now, Mike Milbury does. Well, yeah, because what happened was all of a sudden the trade deadline's coming on and fucking all of a sudden he calls me in. I'm on the ice and bonus is like, Mike wants to see you. I'm like, for what? Right. He goes, you take off your skates and go to his office. I'm like, the whole way. I'm like, does he know about this? Does he know about that? I'm trying to figure out what I did wrong, right? Right. So I get to his office. He goes, sit down. I'm like, what's up? He goes, thank you. I'm like, for what? He goes, it happened. So he told me what happened to the room. Oh. And he walked out. He just said, told Johnny wasn't into it. He goes, I owe you a big favor. If I'm ever in a position to give you a contract, I will. That kind of was it. Oh, wow. Moved on. Now, fast forward to two years now playing hockey. Yeah. My agent calls me. He goes, there's about five teams interested in signing you. Florida Panthers being one, right? And then the Islanders. Is that right? Yeah. So then, so I agreed to sign with Florida. With Florida, I was making nine hundred one way, right? And right at the end of my career, really, which was still pretty good, right? Yeah, definitely. Now, are you totally cleaned up now? You're off the drinking. Yeah. Well, yeah, but no, I'm not. Here's the thing: I I cleaned my act up for the summer to get into shape, right? To get back into playing shape. Right. Did all that, worked hard, got myself back into game shape and or playing shape. Then I had to go back into the substance abuse program, and I didn't know. Oh. Then I'm like, well, Jesus, I don't want to not drink. I don't want to, I'm like, Jesus, do I have enough money, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, fucking sign with Florida. And then Mike calls me up, and he's like, because Mike matched everything Florida did, right. right? And then Mike goes to me, he's like, 
I said, well, fuck. I said, Mike, Jackie doesn't want to go back to New York because of my fucking shenanigans. So I'm going to Florida. Thank you for the offer, right? Right. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Then I just, a day before I was about to leave for training camp, I went out and I did a bunch of coke and, and I called Mike Keenan and I said I wasn't good to play. I was retired with an injury, career-ending injury. Yeah. Oh. September 12th. So you had $900,000 on the table and you decided to do the coke instead of taking yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, I, I basically 900, nine, 900 one way, I think it was. And then another, it's like, I had like, it's almost like a three-year deal. Oh, okay. And I basically fucking walked away from it. And then, then Mike called me, I was walking into Costco about two weeks after I had announced my retirement or whatever, calls me up and he goes, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm going into Costco. He's like, well, he goes, I'm giving you another offer. I'm like, what? He goes, I'll pay you to be an ambassador for the team at I think it was 250 a year or something like that, or 125, 150, 150 and 200 and for a three-year deal to be an ambassador. Back in New York. And I said, back in New York. And I said, well, what do you mean back? He goes, well, he goes, you'll be an ambassador for the team. You have to come to New York. I'm like, Mike, fucking Jackie wouldn't go for 900. Do you think she's going to go? I said, you still owe me. <laughs> that was kind of it. So, so crazy that. story. Then. So at that point, then the game is over for you. You're done with hockey. I am, yeah. Now it's time yeah. to change the real world, right? So now are you doing new world, fucking out of control. From September of that of that year till June of the following year, I probably went as hard as I could go with drinking and, and everything else. And your wife Jackie is aware of this. She's aware. She knows I'm out of control. She's waiting to get the call that I'm going to be dead, basically. Really. And that's kind of what happened. I basically, I felt I couldn't stop at anything. I was, I'd become that whole self-talk was that I'm no good to be here for anybody. And the best thing for me would be to check out. Really? So what I thought the best way to do it would be to make it look like a car accident, but I was actually trying to take my life. Jesus. Wow. And that's where the car accident happened. And uh, I didn't succeed in what I tried to do. Thank goodness. Right. How, did you get hurt back? Yeah. I, I, I ended up, uh, I had four compression fractures in my lower back, which is unbelievable that I didn't that I didn't have more damage, honestly, for what the way the truck looked. So what did you do to the truck? You tried to drive it right off the road or what'd you do? Oh, I totally did. I, I must have been I, I must have been flying from what it like the the, the way the 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 like the, the way it looked on the highway, right? How I went into the middle of it came out. I did four nose over back. I didn't go like sideways. I went four this way. Yeah, and basically, yeah, but walked away right from the accident really at the end of the day, and then. Uh, and at this point, how I had about how, how many kids do you have? Two kids. I have two kids. Um, I have two kids, Megan and Garrett. Megan's now twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Garrett's turning how, how, how old were they at this point when we get in the accident? Uh, Megan would have been probably nine or ten since I got eighteen years now, so she'd have been like ten. Garrett would have been like young yet. Right. And Six, now, do they know you tried to take your own life? They don't now. Yes, right. they, they didn't know then at the time of the accident. No, no, no. Did you? Like um, nobody actually. Nobody knew for the first three years. Oh, really? Never told anybody. Never told anybody. Never told my wife. Never told anybody. Right. So as far as so I went, knew, it was just an accident. From everybody knew. It was just an accident, and so when that, I I did it on June eighteenth is when I tried to do it. So I went from June, July, August, September, October, November. Those six months, I probably drank once a month, but I had a problem. Right. right. I was white nucleant. And on November 4th was November 8th was my last drink of 2004. Right. Yeah. The, the cocaine, did that continue to that point where you got in the action as well? Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it did. And that's what it's like. I was, I was hiding it so much. And 
I just became, you, you, when you become the, the, the addiction takes over, you become very, everything, you become a good lie. You become a, well, you, you think you're a good liar, but you, you, that you become, that becomes a norm, you know? And, um, it, so I did all that shit of lying, cheating, and just all that bullshit. And, um, I just got to the point where in people, a lot of people get there and you, you just don't, you're embarrassed because you've become, you become so good at conning people and believing I was a good guy. Everybody liked rich, but yeah. rich didn't like rich. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, I knew what I was really up to. So I thought my only way out was to check out. And then, uh, yeah. And then from there, I kind of, after the, the, I went into basically AA and on November 8th and that kind of started the healing process. And, uh, and then, I had three years, like I said, where I didn't tell anybody. I was in a, I was doing a thing for Chemical, which is a uranium mine here. I was working with a guy by the name of M. Gitzel. Right. And I was in Lorange in the northern community talking about my addictions because I was sober now, right? right. I was coaching his son, and he asked me to do this little thing to go talk to people in the north about their drinking. And, and I was there, and my son Garrett was there, and, and I was talking about my accident. And when I started talking about the accident, and I was like, fuck, I'm still lying about it, right? And I just looked at, I, I took a moment and I put my head down and I said, I'm going to say something. I'm going to talk to my son here for the next little bit. There must've been about 300 people up there. And I started talking to Garrett about, I'm going to get honest about something here, which is going to help me, but it might hurt you. Right in front of and the, just, the reader people who do this too, right? So you're Yeah, right. there's about 300 people in the gymnasium when I'm talking about addictions and, and kids. And, and I just looked at Garrett and I started talking to him and apologized for his stuff that, wow. yeah. How, you know, how old is Garrett at that time? He would have been, Garrett would have been around nine or 10. At that time, he, how did he, yeah. How did he uh, well, he as I started talking, and I said that he he ran up and was holding me, right? And we were both crying. It was pretty. It was a, it was a very healing moment for me, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, how, how, yeah, that, would you do that again with him? Like, did you think that was looking back at it? You'd still do the same thing? Yeah, I would. I, you know, he, here, there, I don't think there's a there's no real um, when it comes to telling people about your sh- shitty things. Uh, some stuff you got it. I think I've learned too. Some stuff you just, it's not going to help anybody if you tell them, right? right? The reason I told them is I needed to, you know, I had to get the piano off my back because I've been still lying about that, you know, and it was, so it was a very, for him, like to him to understand, he understands today. Like he's, you know, both of my kids, they, they drink, they did, they just first, they just started drinking in front of me this past summer Oh, where they have a drink in front of me. And I, like I said to him, I said, this is not your problem. This is my problem. So. Uh, and it's not a problem anymore. So you guys are, you know, just be careful. That's it. You know, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you love yourself now? Mm. Yeah, I would say I do. I'm, I'm still not perfect by any means. Like, you know, I do a lot of stuff. So what I've, what I've done since in the last little bit here is I've, I've gone into equine mental health with horses. Oh. So the business I have here in, in, in Saskatchewan doing really well. I've been a year. I started right after I got, I left Weyburn. Um, I go up to Northern communities. I talk about mental health and addictions, you know, stuff in the last five years I've learned, I've, I've got ADHD that I just got, I don't, you know, I didn't know I've, I've had it my whole life. I just basically, somebody told me, so it kind of makes sense now to me, like a lot of things that have happened in my life. So I'm very driven. I'm very, once I get my, my, my closet or my mouth on something, whatever it is, I'm fucking all in, but I, I'm all in until I get bored. Right. And then I'm looking for something else. I'm, I always need that fix. You know, I need something yeah. to get me get excited. Not this crappy thing about having ADHD, but now at least, you know, I'm on medication. I'm on, you know, I'm taking, I, I, you know, I take medication for depressed, being depressed because I am depressed, right? You know what I mean? But I didn't, as a, as a person that's dealing with mental health, 
you always think that, oh, it's, you know, it's just, you can't, you don't say shit, right? Yeah. So, but I'm open about it. And yeah, I take my pills every day and they kind of, they keep me at a place that I, I'm hoping to make making better, more better decisions. Not that I'm going to make all good decisions, but my decisions definitely are better than they used right. to be. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you and I played roughly the same time period in National mm-hmm. Hockey. And back then, I mean, part of it is I'm not blaming the National Hockey League or blaming hockey anyway, but you just don't open up about your feelings at all as a man. No, you don't ever talk about, you know, you know, I tell my kids every day I talk to them, love you, have a great day. And my, my dad still has never said that. My mom says it, right? Yeah, that's a more just, generational thing than a hockey thing. It's a generational thing, yeah, like where, you know, and, and you're more open about it. You know, people say, well, is it good to say, talk about your problems? And, well, I always tell my problems, hopefully. But I told my kids this. The reason I tell you all about my shit, because you're going to make your own, yeah. you're going to make your own mistakes. Yeah. Totally. Me telling you is hope that maybe you don't make the same ones I did. Yeah. Because you're going to have your own that you're going to make, right? That's all it is, right? Yeah. So, well, we, you know, had some great guests on the show, like Clint Malarchuk, Corey Hirsch, uh, Stephen yep. Tolbert, and, and, and yourself, like, the stuff that you've dealt with, now that you're telling other people, you're helping other people too, right? So now, yeah, you're like helping yourself, but you're helping, helping others. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Like the horse stuff now that I do horses, I do, I do a thing. It's called Instride Equine Therapy, and it's horses and hockey. Right. I've got a, a, a girl that works with me. She's a behavioral therapist. So she works, she's a, she works with kids with autism around the spectrum, and she's a, with family dysfunction. It's turned out to be really, it's, it's kind of taken a, its own life. Right. And, and it's, we don't like, I don't know where we're going to go with this, but it's getting to be too, like it's getting big. Right. So, so you, which is really, this is your career then. Right. Yeah, right now, yeah. I basically drive horses, tell my story, have some fun. I'm a bit of a, you know, I'm the jokester with people. I'm good with people, right? Yeah, that's kind of been my thing. I've always been good with people. And so it's kind of one of my strengths is kind of making, you know, kind of, you know, as much as I call people out and a little bit black and white, my politically stance is, is not the best at times, but kind of get, you know, where you stand with me. So, yeah, Richard, where, where can we find some info on, on your, uh, this business? Um, you can go to, you can go to, Saskatoon Sleigh Rides on Facebook. Oh, Saskatoon Sleigh Rides. Okay. Sleigh Rides. And then the you'll see in there, there's a thing called, uh, there's a link there that says In Stride Equine Therapy. Right. Well, yeah, well, because our, our viewers need something. We, they can't see Tom taking the shirt off and lifting every day. So. <laughs> yeah, you'll see, like, you'll see me. I drive, honestly, you know what I do? This is really what I do. I, I so when I do my talk to the young people, the young, the young people, as I talk, you know, depending on the, the, the age, I go, from grade three to grade six, it's usually about just being a good human, right? right. And then grade seven to grade nine is a little bit more about where I've, you know, where I'm, what I've done. And then kind of nine to 12 is another, you know, another layer of you can get a little bit more honest with them. And um, then we do us, we, we, when we give rides like on my wagon and everything to the kids, really what it is, it's when you look at the Northern people, like because they don't have a lot out there, we basically on the mental health, we make, we bring happiness to them. Sure. Is really what we do. So those young people that are struggling, young kids that have, you know, it's not, you know, their parents are maybe drunk drinking and they have tough, tough, it's tough living is really what it is. Yeah. But for that moment, we're there for, we usually go on a two and a half to three day uh, turnaround. We bring some fun and some happiness to people. Yeah. Yeah. And we've now created relationships with some young people that are, we've made it, we're making a difference in their yeah. life, really. And that's what it's really all about. You know, it's not like you sit there and you do equine therapy and the horse is going to fix you how to be a better, a better person or be a better, better uh, spouse or anything like that. It's the horses, horses, they, what they do is they put you in the moment. Uh, 
And when you're when you're dealing with addictions and and depression, you're either thinking too far ahead, that is your anxiety. When you're thinking about all your shit in the past, there's your depressed. You're being depressed, right? Because you hate what you come. So horses, what they do, if you especially if you ride them, with that moment you're on a horse, you are now in the moment and giving your brain a break. Really, at the end of the day. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Rich Appeal, you've come, you've come a long way there, brother. Hey. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. When I when I when I look back sometimes now, and even when I'm doing with this stuff, I'm like, holy, I'm like, will I change anything? Probably not. You know what I mean? I would change my drinking back to real, but shit, now I it made me who I am and what I am. And I was just you know, gonna, I was just gonna say that, right? I mean, you look back, I'm the same way. I like, see, well, can I do it differently? Well, yeah, but I am who I am now. I love who I am now, right? The, yeah, like you know, you look at people. So you, we always look at somebody, and we always think, "Oh God, I like to really, how does that guy do it? Why does that guy look like he's got his life all straightened out?" You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But when you until you walk in, what's that? It's because they're all faking it. Well, that's what it is too. When you until you walk in somebody else's shoes, whether you walk in, I, I'll never know how how really bad you are. You, you know, I'm, I may say I'm bad, but you know, our different our thresholds of bad changes from human to human, right? So, yeah, wow, pretty good. Well, Richard, yeah, listen, good stuff. you've turned into quite a wow, You're quite a man before. I always really say, I think your teammates all loved you back before when you're playing, but the man you become now is a pretty special person. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate at the end of the day. I'm fortunate. You know what I mean? So happy that I got to play in the NHL. Happy I wish I would have changed things. Can't. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, now it's about trying to, you know, I, I use this term with people is uh, you, you get up every day and you, you, when you look in the mirror, um, and this is the way somebody will tell you, do you like what you see, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do blind people do? Well, good point. Right? You got to, it, it doesn't matter what you see, it's what you carry in your heart. You know in your heart what you are. Yeah, totally. You really do. You, what you see on the mirror, that's, yeah, that's, because some people may have deformity, some people may not like what they look like as a human, but they're still a good person, Right. So I think what your heart and what your, at the end of the day, how caring are you, how loving are you want to be, or, you know what I mean? That's really what it comes down to. Well, and you're knowing this too, that by helping other people, you feel better about yourself too, right? You're helping. That's all it is, man. When, when, yeah, it truly is, man. Helping other people, opening the door is is a little thing that makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming on the show, Richie. That was a fantastic story. I didn't know all that stuff. Uh, but yeah. I, no, you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you should be very proud of yourself too of what you've done with your life. I mean, seriously, as a man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Come on, Rich. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, Tommy. And yeah, you, uh, reach out anytime. All right, brother. Good to see you. Good, Good job. Good breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everybody. If you like or love the Full Change podcast, please uh, like, share, leave a review, tell everybody, tell the world, tell all the universes. All right, grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.